Welcome to Let's Talk Land, a weekly land education talk show learning devoted to learning about land and farms, buying and selling, ownership, especially for real estate agents and realtors. Hey guys, learn from the expert. This is free land education, hard to find out there. Hi, my name's Lou Jewell. I'm an accredited land consultant with, with uh, Land, land Pro Pro Real Estate. estate. <laughs> Our company, along with my co-host and partner, Teresa Martin, who's who's uh, one of the agents with us, buying and selling homes, land and farms in western Piedmont, North Carolina. Give us a shout. We'll help you out. Our new office is at 1207 East Main Street in downtown Pilot Mountain, North Carolina. And our new website is www.mylandpro.com, mylandpro.com. Uh, our, our <laughs> I'd like to thank our sponsors, Land Hub and Land Acre of Value. Uh, Land Hub is the best place to search properties nationwide, landhub.com. And Acre of Value, if you want to find out who owns the property down the road and what it sold for last year, go to acrevalue.com. Our guest today is David McFeeders Grown. Welcome, David. Thank you, Lou. You're with the Root RUTE Foundation Systems, uh, the creator of Sun Tracker and Cattle Grade AgriBioTactics. Bio, bio is that right? Tracking system? Did I say that right? Mm-mm. I didn't say that right. <laughs> That's okay. We'll okay, I'll let you that. explain it. <laughs> but we, we're, we're, we're great to have Sonia uh, Howe with Geo Ranch back again. She's um, uh, one of our guest hosts, and she brings our guest to the, to the show. So we're going to let sh- turn the show over to Sonia here as soon as I introduce you guys. But Sonia is a member of the Realtors Land Institute, like myself, her company won the Land Tech Acceleration Award last year from RLI. Geo Ranch is a real estate company dedicated to helping create opportunities for landowners and ranchers. Solar leases and grazing are two of those types of opportunities. Sonia, welcome. Introduce your guests. You bet. Thank you, Lou. So happy to be here. Um, David and I had uh, have had some great conversations, and I'm really excited to have him here as a guest. And actually, through the executive director of the AgriSolar Clearinghouse, I've been introduced to David, and um, he's really helped. He and his company and their products they have are really changing the landscape of solar grazing. And here's a little bit about him, and, of course, we'll ask him even more. But he is, um, with, as, as Lou mentioned, he's with Root Foundation Systems, the creator of Sun Tracker, an agrovoltaic tracker system. He's an experienced executive with over 25 years of consulting on various aspects of commercialization, and, and he's a founder in Root Foundation Systems. He serves as their business development lead and is responsible for business and government partnerships. And he's also the manager of Root Sun Trekkers first pasture voltaic project, Bear Valley Solar Pasture, to be built in the summer of 2023 in Grant County, Oregon. He grew up outside of St. Louis, Missouri, and currently resides in Portland with his wife and four children. Again, David, we're so proud to have you. And we want to first explore the world of agrivoltaics today and learn more about your arrays and how they might change the face of solar grazing. But first, I want to hear about you and what led you into this field of agrivoltaics. Thank you, Sonia and Lou. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Root is a leader in innovative renewable en- 
energy structures. It has some had some early success with wind. However, solar has proven itself to not just be the cheapest renewable energy source, but now is the cheapest energy source, period. So to have an impact, solar is the place to be. Doug Krause, the president of Root, told me about the SunTracker concept about two and a half years ago. I was immediately taken by two key elements. First of all, its application for rural land dual use, specifically with ranches. And secondly, its elegant use of standard bridge technology to solve a key problem, height. The more I dug into the concept, the more benefits I realized that SunTracker had over and above the obvious dual use of the land for solar and grazing. Besides those, it turned out that cattle like shade and reduced heat stress is valuable. And there's growing research showing that the soil relishes a bit of a break from the noonday sun. Our colleagues at the Oregon State University have done some preliminary studies suggesting that forage value remains constant and livestock thrives as good or better in shade. Honestly, that's not a heck of a lot surprising, but mm -hmm. they're really trying to put a fine tune on uh, how to best implement these sorts of structures. Personally, I've done some commercialization work for the government, and it seemed like something they might be willing to support. It seems a bit bold now, but we put together a proposal for the United States uh, Department of Energy, and they took a shine to it. This has been followed by us winning uh, the semifinals for Solar Prize 6, another Department of Energy contest, and some intense interest from the USDA, which we hope to announce in the coming weeks. Uh, can, you, can you tell us more about that project? Sure. So uh, the, the DOE award was a Small Business Innovative Research Award, and uh, that was completed at the end of 2021. Root successfully demonstrated uh, this concept on tribal land in North Dakota. We showed that you could use winch-like motors to pull up and control a nine-foot clearance, large pole-mounted solar array with cables, and that it would stay stable in the brisk December winds of Cannonball, North Dakota. After the thaw, we took our learnings and equipment and went back to Scapoose, Oregon, and to the Oregon Manufacturing Innovation Center and built a proving ground there. Hmm. Now, what's, uh, yeah, let, tell me more about that as far as your manufacturing and innovation on the product. Sure. So uh, we've located our, our system in Scapoose, Oregon, and the way the system is set up, again, it's large pole-mounted structures that are set up in kind of a grid-like format. Each pole supports about 400 square feet of solar panels that are 20 by 20 on a side. And what the magic is is that instead of using trusses and uh, H piles that are driven into the ground, we have these structures supported by uh, cables. So kind of in the same way a cable-supported bridge uses less steel, we're able to use less steel with this sort of uh, support system. You might see something similar to it if you were to look at a, a cell tower. Those are cable supported as well. But imagine a whole series of cell towers in a row, much smaller, of course. And the uh, interleaving web of cables then is able to support the structure very efficiently against the wind and also gives us some ability to track the sun. Yeah, and to our listeners out there, um, we will have a uh, – we'll be sharing – David's company's website where you can see some diagrams and video that will be more informative for you on, on how just innovative and, and ground well and groundbreaking this is. So now let's talk about your view of solar energy in general and agrivoltaics, past, present, and future, because it, it is it is a pretty new field. It is. Well, well first of all, solar is just on fire right now. The Inflation Reduction Act accelerated this growth actually two to three times. 
now expected that over the next 10 years, the U.S. is going to install five times as much solar as presently in place. So that's going to be an enormous amount of land, well over 2 million acres. The IRA has a few extra incentives in it for solar, but what it really did was provide long-term stability for the renewable energy investing. In addition, some states are leaning in on dual-use solar. Massachusetts, for example, has a special feed-in tariff of about $0.06 cents per kilowatt for agrivoltaic projects. Regardless, like any development, location really matters. Though the, the IRA does not explicitly have incentives for agrivoltaics, we expect that that's going to create increased pressure on land development, and uh, premium land is going to be, at, well, at a premium. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and as you and I have discussed, one of the major complaints about solar is that it takes productive farm and ranch land out of the farming system. Now, how does agrivoltaics create a solution and even improve the land? Well, so as your listeners likely know, the best solar land, sunny, moderate rain, light winds, is already in use as a solar generator for our food. So if you're trying to optimize electricity, that's where you go. You'd want to go to some productive farmland. But what's different about solar production, and make no mistake about it, solar plants are financial assets and are managed like one. And those managers generally don't really care about the soil, they don't care about farmers' legacy, and they don't care necessarily about the community. They're being hired to manage the financial asset for maximum gain. But what's nice is agrivoltaics can solve this energy land conflict. Not every crop, but many, including grasslands, can be topped with solar if it's high enough, and you really can harvest the sun twice. Most plants reach solar saturation, meaning they get enough sun, with much less sun than they get uh, in, particularly in arid regions, where they get entirely too much sun. I noted that solar is burning hot, but shade is cool. Through the research developing, and I'm sorry, through the research that is developing, and though I'm not an agroscientist, the basic theory is that shade cools the ground and it reduces evaporation, and that transpiration is easy to see. Much of the research I've seen is trying to optimize the system with respect to crops and seasons to quantify those benefits. Again, talking about dryland farming in arid regions, it's hoped that this extra water in the system will add to the general fertility of the soil, and in Root's case, with cattle-grade agrivoltaics, the extra water plus manure might have a multiplier effect, creating uh, even more fertile soil, perhaps even storing extra carbon in the ground, but definitely creating that rich biomass that we all strive for um, and we're hoping to return in some, in some lands that may have been degraded. If true, this will lead to, again, more forage, less trucking hay, healthier cows, better land utilization. Really, I kind of get lost in how many wins there are for this, um, and we're hoping that our, our new deployment and Bear Valley Solar Pasture will prove out some of these assumptions. You know, and one thing, David, that I just realized is I don't want to use too many buzzwords. Like, let's go back agrivoltaics. I've been a member of the American Solar Grazing Association for over a couple of years, and so it's a term that I'm very familiar with. But I I think we probably should just explain it's the blending of solar and and livestock or grazing, correct? That's correct. There's there's a bunch of different ways that you can incorporate – uh, a dual use. There's some very simple ones that, frankly, I don't know why they aren't done. They'll they'll grow wildflowers, or they'll have uh, bees, or create aviaries. Sheep are incredibly useful for um, grazing on some of these ter- territories as well. The the added feature that we're doing at Root is high clearance. 
uh, and by high we mean high enough that you could um, allow cattle to graze on those lands. As many people know, cattle do like to rub on things, and so you need to keep the glass panels uh, away, and the structures need to be strong enough to be able to um, uh, take on a, a, a spring-rubbing cow. Yeah, and, and you and I have talked about this, too. I mean, as far as livestock, I think it's been proven that sheep probably are the easiest, mostly because of the way most solar arrays are designed. And and there has been a lot of requests of people I've spoken to of it would be sure great if, and we could talk, and I know that you're going to be touching on this anyway, if, if it would be more adaptable to cattle. And, and, yeah, you're right, pollinators and seed mixes and all sorts of things are really coming in to their own, too, in terms of being uh, good complements to solar sites. But, but let's go back to this. You mentioned, um, well, some of the benefits to livestock and soils, but what about the economic impact? Well, you know, when it comes time to, if you're approached by a developer, if you're a landowner, that offer tends to be pretty rich. Um, it's my understanding that the multiples on solar rents can exceed 40 times what you might make as a, a rancher on that property. So it can be very compelling um, and enticing to make that decision. Um, so whereas here in Oregon, you may only be making 3 to $10 an acre, solar rents often exceed Four hundred, eight hundred, twelve hundred dollars an acre. So the economics of that are very compelling. Of course, that gets in the way of all the downsides of taking that land out of production, removing all that employment and all the all the multiplier employment that those you know cow hands or ranch hands or vets or hay delivery services may provide. So by having dual use, having some form of agrivoltaics, you're able to have a. a it's not just a net positive, it's, a, it's just a straight positive versus having a, a net negative by taking the land out of production. It's really kind of a win for, for everybody. Hey, that's great. Hey, our guest today is David McPeters Grown with Root Agrivoltaics. Agri uh, Voltaics. Golly. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Anyway, we'd like to thank our sponsor, LandHub.com. View thousands of properties for sale at LandHub.com. And Acre Value, our sponsor today. The only website I need to research land is acrevalue.com. Continue with your guests, please. Yes, okay. David and I were talking about the benefits to livestock and soils. And um, David, what about the economic impact of some of the other parts of the community? Sure. As, as we were saying, the, the community itself really is likely the the chief beneficiary, and the, I know that our rural economy is has many uh, toils and insults on it from like the the way that the economy has sort of changed. But what's nice is that by keeping the jobs in there, we're no longer going to get close to that tipping point or keep that tipping point from happening and moving forward. But there, the other question is like why why would anyone the developers choose to make this decision to use agrivoltaics? Well. We believe that uh, the developer primarily will get access to land that it otherwise was not available, either because the landowner did not want to stop ranching or because what we anticipate will be new zoning that will make it easier. Um, in particular, there was a recent uh, study that I think was profiled on the AgriSolar Clearinghouse that noted 
uh, when uh, agra activities were included within the solar project, the community was 82% more uh, agreeable to having it put in place. That mere fact alone makes it more interesting to developers because the last thing they want is any sort of hiccup in the process. Um, the contractor also benefits from a, a job, as I said before, that sorry that, that wouldn't happen. Um, and Root Sun Tracker also has some inherent efficiencies to make it more economical for the project, mostly in the reductions of steel and reduced site prep. As the name suggests, we track the sun, and of course, it is high in design with grazing. Um, so that means that your O and M costs with respect to vegetation are minimal, if not zero. All of this makes the project more profitable and more likely to be pursued. Lastly, we've heard this from uh, some of the landowners we've talked to. There's a recognition that we all live on this planet and energy has to come from somewhere. And this is also true. There's a limited amount of land, and we should try and use each parcel as efficiently as possible. As, um, and speaking of that, as far as the landowner, in an October issue of Livestock Weekly, I read about, a, I read about the difficult decision on the part of a rancher in West Texas about whether or not to lease some of his land to solar. He deliberated for a couple of years, and one of his conclusions in moving forward was the profit from the solar panel lease was a means to allow him to keep his ranch operating through the grout without having to sell off cattle like so many others have been forced to do. And it was a long-term lease, 20-year lease with six five-year options, and that could keep the land in his family for about two more generations. So I thought that was a very interesting perspective. It was. I had a chance to review that article as well. Um, you know, we've, we, we see this problem with trying to make this conversion, as I mentioned before. It is very economically attractive to make these decisions, particularly where some of the other economics may be uh, more challenging or at least more variable. Um, it is always a hard choice, uh, and there's no question that when you make a decision to go with solar, there will be change. The, uh, the rancher that I uh, mentioned that he spoke of is he wanted to be true to the land, but I also think he was thinking about being true to his employees as well as the jobs that stem from those, as I mentioned earlier. Dual use simply gives the landowner an option that eliminates some of those barriers. I'll be the first to say that solar absolutely will change sight lines. You will see them. I can't make them invisible. However, I think the agrivoltaics, particularly over ranch land, allows a different way to think about doing development. Now. Developers have to tuck in as much solar as possible into a parcel in order to maximize the solar generation. That's their mission. But when you work in a partnership with the landowner, with the land itself, you relax some of this rigid development rules, and maybe you don't need to put panels all the way up to the border. Because there's so much ranch land over the hill, it can be a more nuanced decision, somewhat like this uh, decision that this rancher had made in that article. He wasn't keen on converting all of his land, but there needs to be a way to coexist in a way that's useful. And if you look at the way that development is done, you know, they, they buy up a certain property that's, I mean, it can be large, but often it's tucked in various spaces. But if you have a large parcel of ranch land and you realize that you can continue to use cattle underneath it, it offers this new way of thinking about ground coverage. And it's not necessary to be so extreme and, you know, change the sight lines for miles upon miles. There will always be utility-grade, utility-sized uh, investments. And the nice thing is with something like uh, this, where the 
the panels are raised up to allow good circulation and the ground is benefiting because it's being cooled off in a really hot region. The water is, is you know, adding to the soil and the plants themselves offer a bit of cooling for the panels, which lets them to be more efficient. You know, it's, it's the kind of thing that we believe will be the norm. We think that these high clearance agrivoltaic systems will take over the, all of the development and there will no longer be uh, ground-based systems because there's no reason for that. Well, you know, and that, that brings up a really good point. That, um, the rancher in West Texas that we're talking about uh, from that article, he actually was more of an Angus bull and horse, uh, horse breeder. And what he was going, he had already negotiated the contract with the solar company, and he was going to talk to them about adding sheep under the solar arrays. But it would have been so much more effective if they would have discussed that all beforehand. And it, and I think that's that's one thing that I, that I really want to encourage landowners to do is talk to your broker as a, they're your fiduciary and make sure that they they're the ones who have all of that information at their fingertips and can advise you on what needs to be discussed like for instance um, you know for a landowner to specify a root system so that they mm -hmm. could do cattle that would be something that would probably be just as welcome as as solar grazing sheep and I just think also there's in so many ways there are so many grazers and landowners who don't have that good competitive information as far mm -hmm. as what is being paid and what the value is to that developer or that or that owner of that site I think that is really critical information and you're just leaving money on the table if you don't have all of those facts so I just want to encourage landowners and grazers to talk to their brokers or agents and make sure they act as your fiduciary to help make these kinds of decisions. Because you, you bet the solar companies have that, have a, a fiduciary of their own. So I just wanted to point that out. I think that's a great idea. Um, you know, the idea of having this choice is new. So mm -hmm. it is very likely that the developer that you're talking to today isn't considering it. And again, it's it's not, like I said, it's not in the developer's interests to necessarily do that. There are some inherent advantages of the root system, but, you know, it's, it's not enough to move them off the dime unless the landowner has a specific desire to uh, do this sort of development and it isn't for everybody like you know we're not root is not out there trying to convince people to go into solar um we're, we're not suggesting that this is you know the only way to do it but for the landowner who is trying to keep their way of life maintain uh you know community jobs uh and also be able to benefit from you know the solar bonanza it seems like a logical choice to me but all the you have to decide that's what you want to do yeah, and, and also keep in mind not every site is going to be suitable for solar. And, and so there's, there's, that, um, th there's that aspect as well. Yeah, that's always true. Like location matters for all, you know, for all of these developments. You, you need to be near a good off point for the, um, for the electricity or an on point, I should say, because 
those sorts of those sorts of decisions actually can be the most expensive in the whole process. And mm -hmm. uh, there is, we think there's a, a unique opportunity for uh, community grade solar grazing activities, you know, near the end of some of these power lines, because that simplifies some of the issues with respect to um, the interconnect, which is the interconnection between the solar generation and those power lines. And, you know, it, those, those decisions are much harder to do with ground-based solar, particularly when you're in rural areas, particularly if the land is designated agricultural only. We think all of those things can be eased, we're, and we're hoping to see more states take a, a more, uh, uh, I would say, rural-friendly attitude towards these sorts of developments. Now, one of the things, let's go ahead and do a deeper dive into your solar array and how, you know, we've talked about how it does, is going to change some of the landscape of solar grazing, but sure. uh, you might fill us in on more of the details. Yeah, thank you. Uh, SunTracker is unique in agrivoltaics. It's the first high-clearance tracking system that can compete with ground-based solar on its annualized return. I hope your listeners go to the website to find us because a visual will be very helpful here. But as I mentioned, SunTracker is a pole-mounted and cable-stayed, and those cables mean we use a lot less steel to keep the panels from blowing over. It borrows the same efficiencies from cable bridges over truss bridges. Um, if you could see the rendering, you'd see the poles are about 35 feet apart, and the cables are about nine feet off the ground. The cables act like a web, and uh, there are elements at the end of each row that hold the mechanics and the anchors, uh, the cables. They look like a, a pointy tent minus the canvas. You can have up to 24 poles in a row for a full field equaling about five megawatts, and um, that is uh, about 1,000 feet on a side. You don't have to have them that big, and you can put multiples of these units next to each other. Um, so that's what's most economical and suitable for large-scale solar. Uh, SunTracker also is designed with ranch land in mind, specifically with large livestock rummaging around. The poles are plenty strong to resist an itchy cow, and the panels are high enough to avoid an avalanche of glass from the rummy on the panels. Um, there are 10 times more cattle ranch land in the U.S. as compared to sheep, goat, and horse combined. So why sheep are great for solar grazing and keeping um, grass at bay, I just don't think that's enough sheep land to satisfy the electrical demand. We think that opening up cattle land or yards for solar will offer those landowners all the benefits described without having to sacrifice much along the way. Yeah, that's, that sounds great, David. Well, um, one other thing that I would like to talk about is your new project in Oregon. You were mentioning it, uh, I think it was on the, uh, the radio program I heard you on. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. Uh, and I guess a quick shout out to uh, our local NPR station for that. Thanks very much. Um, so. uh, Bear Valley Solar Pasture uh, is now in the public comment period in Grant County, Oregon. Um, that was just scheduled this week, so it's very fresh. The landowner in this case was one of those ranchers who'd been repeatedly approached by traditional developers seeking to convert wide swaths of his property to solar. No more cattle ranching. Economically for him, he was a no-brainer, like I'd mentioned. Uh, he stood to gain about 40 times the rents from solar as he ever could make in a good year on cattle ranching. Um, and, of course, that's all with basically zero hassle. Um, also, like many of your listeners, as a land steward, he was just uncomfortable with this proposition. And so he came to us. 
uh, we'd been working with some folks at Oregon State, and the landowner contacted them, wondering if the university could help him with his dilemma. We then started some discussions, and we've formed a special purpose entity to do the permitting and planning, uh, and I'm the manager of that. So this initial array will be about 200 kilowatts, which we're hoping to expand out to about uh, a megawatt and a half, this, uh, which will eventually have about 30 poles, um, each of which with uh, 40 square feet of panels. Uh, we believe it'll be the first cattle-grade solar pasture um, in the United States. Though it'll be a fully functional solar generation facility, we're also going to be working with Oregon State University to keep it as a test site so they can do some experiments to see how the, um, how the grassland grows underneath in this particular area, how the cattle would respond to the uh, various elements being in the ground. We expect it's going to be um, a, a wonderful asset for them, and we're really looking forward to seeing how that all grows. Um, as I mentioned, you know, Root, as a, a new company in this space, is working closely with our landowners, and we are serving as a, again, as a, a early stage developer to get these projects off the ground. So we can have some of those discussions with your landowner with a, a certain amount of knowledge and how to move things from uh, beginning to end. Uh, the one thing I forgot to mention earlier and was also mentioned in that other article was, you know, one of the things that's great about the Sun Tracker method is that we really don't have very much ground disturbance. We don't come in with bulldozers and grind everything flat. We don't take away the topsoil. The poles are sitting on very small pads. They're basically supported by the, um, by the cables, so there's no need for deep foundations into the ground that'll be long-term disturbance. So as a result, it's uh, the grassland can stay pretty much undisturbed. Um, there's very little compression as we install these units, and it's very easy to um, remove them. We just sort of pull up the ground anchors, and uh, you're back in business without the panels 20 years. In All the right, this is Let's Talk Land. Our guest today is David McPheeters Crone with Root Agra Botolics. We'd like to thank our sponsor, LandHub.com. Looking to buy or sell land, LandHub.com previews thousands of properties nationwide and acre value. If you want to know what your neighbor sold for their, their uh, land down the road, just go to acrevalue.com. Incredible site.